You're listening to The Breakfasters Podcast for the week 22nd of May to the 26th of May. This week, uh, we were joined in the studio by Stephen Curry to talk about his new film, Hounds of Love, which is quite terrifying. Yes. Uh, And also, Jeff told us about a time only a couple of days ago when he got stuck in an elevator. Jeff got stuck in a lift. Uh, We also had a chat about um, how'd you get that scar? Uh, Talked about scar tissue. And uh, we had an interview with Colson Whitehead, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning author uh, about his book, The Underground Railroad. Railroad. And finally, me, Laura Dunneman, <laughs> just oh. stepping in oh. for Jeff Sparrow. Uh, I was the Friday funny bugger this week and I've stuck around to do the podcast introduction. Uh, so my Friday funny bugger was about me choosing uh, a movie to watch for my new Meryl Streep uh, movie club called Streep and Weep and also talking about stealing Jeff's job, which I still aim to do and am doing quite successfully as well. Good job. <laughs> Stephen Curry is a comedian and actor. You'll know him from The Castle, Secret Life of Us, Cloud Street and many other places. But his latest film is called Hounds of Love, written and directed by Ben Young, opening on the 1st of June. Welcome to Breakfast, Stephen. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. In this film, you're cast as, well, Mm. basically an evil serial killer. Yeah. For someone who's got a background in comedy, was that something that attracted you, being cast (laughs) kind of against type, I suppose? Yeah, it certainly... um it's still one of those things, as soon as you hear that you're in the mix for it, you think that's a typo. Um, <laughs> I, it was weird. Like, I don't get thought about for stuff like this at all. And uh, it just happened to me that the the casting lady, Anusha Zarkesh, just kind of put my name on the list and the director kind of went, oh, because you know you've got go-to bad guys mm-hmm. or go-to comedy guys, you know, that pigeonholing kind of thing, I guess. And she just kind of went, oh, what about him? And... Very fortuitously for me, Ben Young, the director, the writer-director, just kind of said, oh, that's interesting and gave me an audition and, yeah, I got the role. How did you do that audition, though? Like... Uh, Twirled my moustache as much as possible. <laughs> no, 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 that was the thing. From the from the start, I just kind of said, look, I don't really want to play play like a really obviously bad guy. Like I kind of want to – is it okay if I try and bring a bit of like affectation of charm to it? Because like, mm. you know, this guy's a psychopath and they, you know, sociopaths and psychopaths and all that sort of stuff that you hear about, they don't have empathy and they don't have love but they can affect these things. And I find that kind of more interesting and um, you sort of – because if you, if you play this character as just like what he is, which is an animal, like he's the mm. worst – human imaginable, then you kind of sell all the characters around him a bit short. You sell his wife short for being with him and you sell the girl short for getting in the car with him and uh, I just find it far less, I don't know, far less compelling to play it as a one-note kind of bad guy. What was it like spending that much time inside that guy's head? Because I haven't been able to shake the film since I've seen it and the performances are amazing but I can't imagine living inside of that for uh, however many months. It's very hard because, you know, the hardest thing about it was the performances, and I, I, I mean this, I don't say this lightly, the two main women in this film, Emma Booth and Ashley Cummings, give two of the best performances I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Really remarkable performances. And the, in particular, from my character's perspective, the performance of Ashley Cummings, who plays the young girl that we abduct and do these kind of unspeakable things to, Gives this performance is so heartbreaking, and and her eyes are incredible. She she can convey this this emotion and this heartbreak in the, the blink of an eye, 
And that was the hardest thing is you kind of – you're stuck in it, you know. Usually with comedy you can, it's just pretendies and, and that's fine and you just kind of go, oh, well, that's that done and you go and have a beer and you go to bed and you get up and you do the same thing again. But this is different because you do. You, 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 you can't extricate yourself from the reality that this happens to real people. Mm. And Ashley was – so believable and so, as I say, so heartbreaking in this film that, that it was impossible to not be affected by it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just saying this because we're interviewing you, but I, mean, I thought yours was an extraordinary performance and in many ways it's one of the films that stayed with me more than anything I've seen for a long time. It does, yeah. I did also find it very hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to people who have that reaction? Why should we um, watch these quite... <coughs> Horrific scenes. Okay, so I reckon, and this is I've been thinking about this long and hard. Okay, because this is a, uh, this is a really it is a hard film to watch, and in particular because, as I mentioned, the themes are, are very very heavy. One thing that I think is a real uh, positive about this film, and, and, a, and a great relief to me, and I know everyone else who is in it, is that Ben Young. It's his first feature film, right? And this film could be a, a, an exercise in exploitation could be an exercise in kind of voyeurism and, uh, you know, unnecessary violence. But what he does, and the word I keep coming back to is restraint. He shows restraint uh, in terms of what you don't see. You don't really see much in this film. It's implied. Most of it's implied. And, you know, makes no... You make no mistake about what's happening behind the door. You know what's happening behind the door, but you don't see it. Mm. Um, and the restraint of this film and one of the great strengths of this film. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3 R. Jeff walked in this morning and, and drops this bombshell. I got stuck in a lift yesterday. My worst nightmare. (laughs) Say no more. Wait. Yeah, so I live in quite an old building in the city and the elevators always have something going wrong with them. Usually what happens is, well, the most common one is I'm running late for work and you press the button and just nothing happens. Right. You just sit there and think, oh, it'll be coming soon. But it's not not coming soon. But other times you get into it and then the lights go on at random. So it just stops like I'm on like the eleventh floor. Ghost elevator. Yeah, and you, you think, oh gosh, there must be lots of other people at you know five in the morning wanting to get in the elevator as they come down from the eleventh floor because we're stopping on every floor. Oh, but how not, annoying! No, okay, another tenth. Floor. Two things: it's either one a ghost or there's some drainer in your building that loves going and running up the elevator and hitting all of the things and running out <laughs> yeah. again. That would be pretty well, funny. That could yeah. be a ghost as well. That could be a ghost. Yeah, that could be a ghost as well. Yeah. You know, I feel if someone's got the energy to run up the stairs and press every button, then I'd pay that. That's now you just awesome. jump yeah. in the elevator, you push them all and you jump out again. Yeah. Ghost elevator. Anyway, when it does that, every time it does that, I find myself thinking, oh, gosh, I wonder what would happen if it just stopped completely when you're inside it. You can't think those thoughts because you think them into reality. Well, apparently oh, that's what happened. Because, uh, yeah, yesterday afternoon I was in the elevator and it started to make a funny noise. Oh, no. And by yourself? You were in there by yeah, yourself? Just, oh, my God. And then it just stopped and all the lights went out <gasps> and everything was just dead. So what was your first feeling? Because if all the lights go out, I'm thinking um, this is going to plummet. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, well, it's been a good life. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, I, well, it just it, it, it just. So it wasn't like it was sh- shuddering yeah, or right. shaking. So in between, was it between levels? floors. Yeah, it was yeah. in between floors. Oh my god! But um, there were no lights, so it was quite dark too. And then I'm thinking, okay, did you have your phone? 
Yeah, I have my Did phone. Did he have his phone? It's so to his palm. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Because it's a... <laughs> Well, yeah, but you, you can laugh, Sarah, but if I hadn't had my phone, what would have happened to me? Go be prepared at all times. Anyway, but I kept looking for the number because, you know, sometimes oh. they have, like, phones oh, yes. that, you know, you can pull out lift, and yeah. it didn't have one of those. And it's because, like, you never really notice that until you need it, do you? Mm. So there was no phone and then there was no number. There was no one. What do you mean? I thought Ellie, every elevator had to have an emergency. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But apparently not. Oh, my God. So then this I thought. Is something to bring up with the board? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. yes. Which a, I'm on. Yeah. Yes. So. Uh, and then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll call the guy who runs the body corporate. corporate. You didn't yeah. think I'll call a fire engine or something first or no. emergency services? Well, you know, it's also like you're not sure how much you want to escalate it, you know? Mm. So... I, thought, I, I think the body corporate's a good starting point. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but then I couldn't find his number. So I was searching through my phone for that and I called it and it rang out and nobody answered. And then when I was starting to think, okay, this is turning into a bit of a problem, <laughs> then the lights came back on. <gasps> the, the lift still didn't move, but the lights came back on. So I thought, okay, this is looking Something's happening. a bit more positive. And then... Um, after about five minutes, then it started to shake, and then. So, okay, I'm sorry. At this point, did you think it's over? If it's like shaking, no, I thought that was positive because there was going to be some movement, did and then you, it went like, down. Move, all, how fast was the movement yeah. going to be, though? And then it went all the way down to the bottom, stopping at each each thing. And why uh, didn't why didn't you get out at the first? Well, you didn't I get out, out, out at the first. Opportunity. To walk in the stairs. I thought I was going to see this through. Oh my god! Who does that? Who gets oh stuck in a lift and doesn't get out at their first opportunity? Um, but uh, yeah, it's never, never ever happened to me before. I've always, it's always, <laughs> I've always wondered what would happen being stuck in a lift. But um, here's a tip: get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first, first opportunity, opportunity, get out. It wasn't so bad. Did you the fire engine coming along, going climb down? Climb down in between levels, go, get the doors open, <laughs> climb down and go, oh, no, I'm getting off at the ground floor, thank you. <laughs> totally, I'm not climbing down 11 floors. I'm sorry, did you think, though, when it did start stuttering, did you try to think about what you would do with your body if it did start dropping? Like, were you oh, like, oh, I'm going to... imagine gonna... what I'd do with my body is smash into the ceiling of it. I mean, oh. not much you can do. Is there things to hold on to, though, or anything? No. Like oh. a bar? No, no, and also you're falling down with it, so there's not really that much you can do. do. Yeah. I don't think. I think you just gotta, you know, gotta sort of suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a podcast from Three Triple R One Hundred Two Point Seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. Last night, um, just hanging out at, at home. Having um, had a nice dinner with my housemate and uh, watching a bit of telly and stuff. Sure. But we were at, for some reason the discussion came up about how'd you get that scar? Um, and how's this right? My mate Celia has a tiny little scar, like one on each eye, so she's perfectly symmetrical. Oh, wow. Like one was, um, but it happened at different times. Ah, oh. oh, so it wasn't one bad right. face forward accident. Yeah, it Getting was just horns removed or something. There <laughs> <laughs> you go, Celia. <laughs> also, who has horns growing out of their, their eyes? <laughs> well, I mean, you might equally say, who has horns growing out of their head? <laughs> well, all, anyone that has a horn, I reckon, comes out of their head. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> tiny little. Little scars, you know, one was she fell over in the bathroom and one when she ran into a soccer post or something. But 
just had had you know equal ties, and also she thinks she's broken uh, her toe on each side as well. She's like, wow, very symmetrical. She could be a it? model. Yeah, I think so. You got any scars? I've got a tiny scar on one of my fingers. In fact, oh, I me guess, too. Yeah, and mine was from when I was a child. We were visiting some kind of zoo or animal enclosure. Did you put your finger in? <laughs> and we were visiting the cockatoos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. There were these nice cockatoos. And I said, oh, they look like charming birds. Yeah. No. And I put my finger in the cage. <gasps> oh. <laughs> it came and bit me. That's why I've never trusted anyone ever since. Well, it seemed like such a nice bird. And then it snapped its great beak nothing, on my finger. There's nothing nice about birds. Never trust a bird. Really? I hope Birdman's not listening. There's lots of nice things about birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's his whole career. Oh, no, no, there is. I just don't trust them. Well, I what mean, about a little budgie? Or don't something? trust it. Well, they're fun. They got claws. Claws. Like you must have had some dark experience. <laughs> not as dark as yours. Yeah. Well, no, no, it was nasty. Did nasty you have to bit. get stitches? No, I don't. It was only, but I just always had this tiny little scar on my finger, and I always remember that nasty cockatoo. Yeah. On which finger? Uh, it was on my knuckles, just on the, just there. Does it ever? Um, and how long does did... it ever like? Does it like tingle when birds come near you? <laughs> yeah. Are you bird? <laughs> Every time bird comes into the studio, I feel my spidey senses tingling. My God, that cockatoo's lurking around somewhere. What about what? you, Geraldine? Did... No, wait. When you put your finger in the the cage, it was like a child. So yeah, yeah, that's right. But when it like how was it just a one chomp? Or no, did it was it not holding like... onto it. Hell on to it. How did you get free? Yeah. Uh, well, I remember screaming a lot and flapping my hand up and down with the bird attached to it. <laughs> 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 so, it's quite a big cage. Like, wasn't a tiny little hole that you'd – like there was room to move your cage. It was like a bar, like a you know, like this old-fashioned cage, you know, like the sort of old zoo. Oh, no wonder uh, it would beat you. Yeah, well, you're not supposed to put your hands in there, apparently. Right. Apparently, that's the fashion these days. You don't put your hands in with the animal. But. At the zoo, most of the um, fences and stuff that they put up is to stop people from getting in rather than the animals getting out. Well, yes. There you go. For good Makes reason. sense, doesn't it? I don't believe that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, I can imagine um, we, uh, if you do want to text in a story about, if you've got a cool scar, let us know. Um, 04 if you've ever had issues with birds. So oh, I, yep. I, um, I've had two operations. I've actually had a oh, few oh, operations oh. on my knees that have been reconstructed and I, I had them done quite young. And so I have these scars that run across my knees and I always, I got really sick of people asking me what the scars are for and I used to tell them that um, a child would stab me in the knees. <laughs> Yeah, because that would shut down the conversation. Yeah, because I just got so, I got so bored of saying this. Because I'd say oh, I've had an operation and then I just – and but they are both symmetrical scars. I go right across my kneecaps plus a couple above and below. And you wouldn't believe how many people would go – when I said oh, yeah, a child sliced me with a knife, they'd go, oh. really? I'd go with I'd that. say, no, a child, why would a child <laughs> slice just... me evenly across my kneecaps? Well, why would you make that up? Because <laughs> – I was an awkward teenager who was sick of people going, what are those scars on your knees? Visions of that Chucky doll coming after you with a carpet. Totally. I think that was what it was from because that happens in Pet Cemetery. Anyway, oh, the child, right. yeah. I've got a, my tiny little scar. I suppose it could only reach your knees. Yeah, that's, well, that's the point yeah, of yeah. making a child. That, that yeah. wasn't just a weird, creepy element. It was that it was it, miniature. It does add a weird, creepy element. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I pictured it much differently, like a um, a tiny, like a, with um, like an elf-like creature, an elf-like, yeah, like a leprechaun, yeah, yeah, with a knife in each hand and just Slicing. stabbing, <laughs> to, to, doing it simultaneously. What is- Anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But all we've learned about that farm over the years, I just wouldn't be surprised. If that's what happened. <laughs> my, my, uh, I, I've got a tiny little scar on my finger, which is um, from I got two years ago this week. Really? Yeah, it's from my car dooring. Remember when we? Oh. So it was like two years ago that we did our first fill in, and that we've all met each other for the first time. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Geraldine about us. Oh, hang on, I'm taking away from your scar. I was no, talking no. about Geraldine about the first time that we met because when we first were going to do a fill with each other, we all met up for a drink at the pub so that we because we didn't know each other. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I now, knowing you, Jeff, think that's hilarious because you would have been so uncomfortable. <laughs> When we said, "Oh, let's come up, let's have a casual beer at the yeah. pub," and I remember standing you on the corner on the corner afterwards and having a bit of a chit chat, like doing a bit of small talk, like, "What are you doing?" And you seemed kind of, I what I thought was, I thought you were annoyed with me small ch- making small talk, but now I know it's just you. <laughs> you just don't like a bit I don't of remember that. Can't you? I yeah. I remember it really distinctly. I was like, "You're wasting my time, Smith. I'm a busy, important man. I can't sit here talking to you all day." <laughs> no, you were just like, "Oh, I'm going to the city to meet my girlfriend," and I was like, "Oh." I don't think he wants to talk to me anymore. I'll just leave. I don't think that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, there's someone ringing. Maybe they've got a scar story to be asked. Let's move on from that. (laughs) Hello, you're on Triple R. Hi, guys. Hi. You're you're on air right now. Do you have a scar story? Okay. Well, I I hope to have a scar quite soon. I just came out of hospital a couple of days ago. My left thyroid removed, so I hope to have a scar on my neck that I can tell people that I was in a nice fight. (gasps) Yes. Mate, that is excellent. Currently, I look like a bullfrog because it's very, very swollen, and I'm having a bit of trouble speaking. But I do hope to have a future scar that I can make up stories. Oh, vampires! I love it. Vampires is a good one. I love that. Oh, mate, good luck with your operation. (laughs) Sorry, thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for calling. Maybe she could borrow uh, the evil child. Maybe, but it'd be grown up by then <laughs> and stab her in the neck. Hello, you're on Triple R. Hi, um, I'm uh, on the top of my left foot. Yes. From a job interview. <gasps> what? What do you mean? Tell us more. Um, it was from, I was on the way to a job interview. I was running late and I had those Grecian style sandals on. Oh, Yes. <laughs> It's a really flat one. Yes. And, uh, just flipped over, had a dress on, so I had blood pouring off my foot and going into the job interview. Oh, no. Did you get the job? Unfortunately not. Oh, no. God. Don't want to work for them anyway. Yeah. Did they did they comment on your bloodied foot? No, <laughs> it was just an unspoken thing in the whole interview. Oh, my God. Oh, you're just there bleeding to death. <laughs> the, the elephant in the room. <laughs> Do you have any questions? Could you call an ambulance, please? Um, that's, that's great. Thanks, mate. No worries. See ya. Bye. Hey, we got a text. Um, someone texted it had exactly the same thing as Jeff when he was about four. Uh, a gang of cockatoos bit my finger while he was holding the wire at the zoo. It's probably the same one. Yeah. A, ga- a gang of cockatoos. Oh, it's a gang gang cockatoo. Yeah. Maybe that's a kind oh, of maybe that's a Sorry. Particularly oh. nasty kind of cockatoo by the yeah. sounds of it. <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. Author of several books, including most recently The Underground Railroad, which won the 2016 National Book Award. 
2017 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. He's speaking for the Wheeler Centre at Northcote Town Hall tonight, alongside former breakfaster Michael Williams. But he's joining us now in the studio. Welcome to Triple R Colson. How do you do? Very good. Thank you. The Underground Railroad is a historical novel about slavery, but it's also an SF novel, which seems at first a very unlikely mix. How and when did you realise that these two elements could be productively combined? Well, for me, you know, I, I grew up wanting to be a writer from reading comic books and watching The Twilight Zone and uh, reading science fiction and horror. So it seems to me, you know, fantasy is just a, a tool in a writer's toolkit. And I've written realistic books. Some books have fantastic elements. And I think you use the right tool for the job. Um, for this book, um, The Underground Railroad, if you don't know, was a, 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 a human network that would help slaves escape from the south to the north. And so you hide them in your carriage, give them a ride in a boat, money, hide them in your cellar until they uh, get to one of the free states. And um, the Underground Railroad is, is, a, is a metaphor. And it just seemed one day, about 17 years ago, I thought, oh, what if it actually was a literal under, uh, tunnel beneath the earth, like a subway? And so just really from that very fantastic uh, idea, uh, the story came from there. So I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't thinking about how do I write about slavery. It was, it was really just, here's a weird idea. What can I do with it? And do you think the science fictional element or the fantastical element of that narrative has been important in helping the book reach such a wide audience? I mean, I've been struck by the people I know who've read that book. People who wouldn't necessarily read, say, Toni Morrison have you know, really loved your book. Do you think that's been part of the reason it's been able to reach so many people? Well, you know, there's some people who are upset that I made it into a real, into a, a real railroad um, uh, you know, they think there's so much drama in the actual stories of freed slaves. Why would you have to have this element? And for me, it allows me to, you know, move history around and, and make it more than just a story about an escaped slave and about race and history and, and America. And also, you know, Beloved has a ghost. So there's a fantastic element there. And so, you know, a lot of, you know, um, American writers who write so-called literary fiction, realistic fiction, do use fantastic elements. You underwent a lot of research for this book. Was there anything that you uncovered that totally shocked you or that you weren't expecting? Well, I think coming, you know, to the material as a grown-up as opposed to a kid, like watching Roots, you understand the real uh, brutality in a different way when you're older. Um, and, and, re- and reading slave narratives, you'd just come across strange facts that would lead, lead me down different avenues of research. You know, I remember reading about one person saying, oh, once a year our master would give us new wooden shoes. And then you think, wooden shoes? Uh, so who makes them? Who's the carpenter? How often do they, you know, uh, what's the process? And so all that sort of mundane details of, of slave life you know, fed the book. Yeah, right. A, a recent-ish book by an Australian historian of um, the colonial past here, Henry Reynolds, has the title, Why Weren't We Told? Which is kind of a question that white Australians often ask about Australia's dark history. Is that the way the subject comes up in the US as well? I mean... How much do Americans know about slavery? I mean, imagine people study at school, but do they get a real sense of what... Um, it, it's barely studied in school. You know, say in fifth grade, you have 10 minutes on slavery and then 40 minutes on the Civil War, and that's, that's all you get about you know, slavery. Uh, yeah. You'll get, maybe in high school, 10 minutes on Civil Rights Era and then 40 minutes on Martin Luther King, and then that's it. And so it's not really, it's not, it's not really taught. And I think people who have come to the book... Uh, have been surprised at some of the realistic depictions of slavery um, because uh, we haven't had that background. Hmm. Because you, you mentioned you've been 
the idea for the book came to you quite some time ago, but when it came out, it seemed to come out in the midst of a renewed interest in that past, a bunch of movies, a bunch of TV shows and a bunch of new historical studies. I mean, is that... Is that re-examination sort of in the zeitgeist, zeitgeist at the moment? Well, I, I think it's just time. You know, there are people, there are filmmakers and, and artists in their 30s and 40s who uh, now have access to, um, you know, to Hollywood and, and TV shows through Amazon and Netflix. And, of course, if you just tell a bunch of stories, eventually you're going to attack history. Um, so it seems that just, a, you know, after 40 years of, of uh, uh, black history courses – you know, there are, there are more people who have been trained in African-American studies and now they're writing their books. And so, you know, I think it's a natural part of 40 years of, uh, of, of studying black history. Mm. You, you mentioned earlier your love of comic books. and I've read previously that you grew up as a horror fan. Your earlier novel, Zone One, is about zombies. For you, what is the definitive horror zombie? Which movie is it that... Well, for me, you know, watching Night Living Dead when I was like eight was very shocking as a black protagonist. And uh, he's being pursued by a white mob, which is pretty much black history in America. <laughs> and, and so it spoke to me. Uh, so I'm sort of a classicist. You know, I prefer like the slow zombie slow versus the fast, fast zombie. Um, but, you know, they have different, you know, their strengths and minuses on, on storytelling. But for me, it's always the George Romero, you know, first trilogy of Night, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Are you, are you into the walking... The Walking Dead? Um, the comics, yes. The yeah. TV show is a bit uneven. Yeah. And now I'm pretty zombied out. You know, I, remember I, write, I, write, I, write, I write a book. I'm totally sick of the subject. So I'm done with slavery, done with zombies. And, Move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And what about where do you stand on the zombies versus uh, vampires? Uh, we know, I think, you know, uh, the, you know, the zombie, uh, the vampire, there's different ways of talking about humanity. And so the vampire had a certain meaning for Victorian England. It, uh, I guess Twilight has a different meaning for teenagers now. Um, not that only teenagers read those books, <laughs> but I don't mean to disparage anybody. And the, and the zombie has a, you know, uh, uh, a, 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 it's its own sort of metaphorical meaning. So for me, I've always been a zombie guy, but, um, you know, I think when you come to uh, on the genre material, you take what's important, what you want to keep from the tradition and throw out the rest, and each generation reinterprets it. You've also um, previously written a, a memoir about um, playing poker, uh, and that started as uh, an assignment from an online magazine, which pretty, they gave you some uh, some money and said to go write, play some poker, write an article. Is that right? Yeah, it was a, a sports and pop culture magazine called Grantland, which was around for a couple of years. And they said, uh, do you want to cover the World Series of Poker? And I was like, Las Vegas, man, nah, in the summer, not really. And they're like, what if we gave you the entrance fee and you played? And I was like, of course, I would do that. <laughs> but I never really played casino tournament poker before. So I had to go into training. I had to go to Atlantic City and gamble. I would drop off my kid at school and then get on a bus to Atlantic City and gamble, 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 come back at midnight and get in shape. Wow. What? Oh, yeah. No. So, were you gambling your own money when you were practicing? Oh, when I was practicing, yeah, it was my own money. And, and my accountant was like, can you deduct it on your taxes? I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, I don't, I don't want to get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, but it's research, yeah. yeah wow. <laughs> had, you, had you played poker before you started that? I played like, you know, $5 friendly games. Yeah. You know, for about 14 years, I had a regular game with some writers and, you know, play once a month and complain about publishing uh but that's you know low stakes and it's not tournament poker so it's very different how's your poker face well you know i'm uh, i'm naturally 
present as sort of dead inside, which, you know, in human interaction is not that great, but it's really helpful at the poker table. So, um, so I have a natural poker face just from my, my lack of interest in life and happiness. Thing, so. Oh, man. What was that world like? You know, what's a professional, what's a bunch of professional poker players like? Well, you go to casinos and there are the, you know, the young kids who are trained on, 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 uh, online. playing, playing online and they're in their hoodies with, you know, headphones, listening to like audiobooks or whatever and have sunglasses. Then there are these guys called the Methy Mikes, I call them, who are these really kind of crusty Iggy Pop types who live, who are, who are regulars in the casino and they're all kind of, you know, shambling around. And then there's sort of, there are, you know, uh, paunchy middle-aged white guys who are in for the weekend and they have like, you know, really expensive watches and they're just trying to get a story they can tell to their friends on Monday. Yeah, right. God, that sounds bleak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you've moved radically across genres in your writing career. Is there any particular genre or style that you've always thought about trying, you want to try but have never quite tackled yet? Well, you know, I, I didn't know that I would write a story about slavery and when the poker assignment came along, you know, I was able to do like my nonfiction thing like the... Uh, the new journalist writers uh, from the 70s who I grew up reading like Tom Wolfe and Norman Mailer. So that was great. So think, um, I'm planning like a crime novel in a year or two, like a straightforward crime novel. Uh, but you, you never know. You get an idea and, and try and figure out how you can adapt that genre to your own interests. So no plans for romance then? Uh, no, yeah, not, not at the moment, but you know, something might happen. You know. the, the dead inside stuff might, 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 might count against that. And do you have a particular reader in mind when you're writing? I, mean, I was thinking about that in terms of the different genres and the different styles. Do you sort of have a vision of who these books are for? Well, it's changed over the years. You know, when I wrote my first book, I thought, uh, oh, I'm writing for a weird a uh, black kid in his, teen, in his teenage years who might read this book and want to become a writer. And then the book came out and there were no weirdo black kids in the audience. And, you know, so I've always changed, you know. Um, I, I get people with Sag Harbor, which is a story about growing up in the 80s, and then lose them with the zombie book because they hate zombies. And then somebody who likes Zone 1, their uncle, like, gambled away their college fund, and so they hate the poker book. And so I'm, I'm used to just gaining and losing people uh, from book to book, so I never know. Um, look, I've got to say too, this book has won all sorts of honours, but um, I do think your reaction to winning the Pulitzer Prize was one of the best I've ever seen. You tweeted in response, giddy up, motherfucker, which I think is... <laughs> I was very happy. I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually you write these books and you're, at least me, I'm in my office, you know, surrounded by takeout and garbage, and then it comes out and people like it, and it's very surprising. So, so the Pulitzer was obviously... Uh, it's put me in a good mood, uh, despite my natural tendencies. You look a bit more alive inside. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> all right, and that must have opened up all sorts of opportunities. Now, you mentioned this crime book you're working on. Any other projects on the, on the boil? Well, you know, I, I tend to do one thing at a time. And um, uh, so, you know, with all the travel for the book, it's hard to get a groove on. Um, but, you know, if I get a page here and there, that's... Um, one page closer to the conclusion. I usually measure things by like when they'll be done. So it's like one more page, you know, and I'm that much closer to the end. You know, bad dinner party, like one more hour, I'm out of here. So, <laughs> so even though I'm sort of distracted, you know, I'm making a little progress. The book is The Underground, Underground Railroad. We're talking to its author, Colson Whitehead. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. 
Laura Dunham and our Friday funny bugger. Thank you so much for coming in and sitting in Jeff's chair. Yes, I'm. I don't know. I feel like Jeff might be listening because he texted. So. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I reckon he's rolled over, took a photo, and then went back to sleep. Yeah. All right, let's rep in. <laughs> yeah. Since <in> <laughs> I'm sitting in his seat. Yes. Oh, before I actually get to my topic, I wondered if it would be possible because I'm actually, I'm actually going to stay for the rest of the show. Yes. Oh, I can't. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, we, no, we, we know. Oh, oh, I know. oh okay. Yeah, yeah. I felt really self-conscious. <laughs> no. I got an email about it. No. <laughs> no, we want you to stay, mate. Yeah. Is it okay if I open the text lines for something? Yeah. Sure. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. I want to ask the Triple R audience a question because um, I'm starting up with my girlfriends, about uh, two or three of us, a Meryl Streep movie club. Oh. Yeah, and it's called Streep and Weep because <laughs> <laughs> we just like to cry at Meryl Streep movies. And I want to know which one we should watch first. Oh. <laughs> For Streep and Weep. <laughs> Death Becomes Her. Oh, see, I was thinking a bit of Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, I've never seen first. Out of Africa before. Neither have I. I haven't She's, seen either of oh, those films. She is so brilliant. Anyway, if anyone wants to text in, I will. <laughs> I, I, the movie club will go with the first text in. I reckon. What's the number, Jess? Ca- no, it's uh, the or number maybe is... popular demand. Yes, popular demand. That's the Sorry way. Sorry for double six nine eight one zero two seven is the text go. line. There Have it is, you... Geraldine. Beautiful. So I'm here for my Friday funny bugger, right? Yes. And just, just before we start, I'll let you know you've already got a suggestion. What? Sophie's Choice. Yeah. <gasps> oh, see, okay, a friend of mine watched Sophie's Choice. The second half apparently is in German, but the version that she watched, the German didn't have subtitles, so she thought it was like an artistic choice to not know what they were saying. Oh, I had, I watched a film like that once. Yeah. And I just I got half, I was like, oh, why? She, oh, well. Yeah, she realised yeah. it had, to, it was supposed to. But, yeah, apparently Sophie's Choice, particularly because I love crying, if it's called Streep and Weep. What about this one? I forgot about it. Roseanne Barr's greatest role, She Devil. I haven't seen that. Oh, my God, it is so good. How have you not seen She-Devil? Oh, you see, would love She-Devil. this is why she we Devil. need Streep and Weep. Bridges of Madison County. That's got I a few I wasn't votes. that into yeah. that one. I don't even, I've never seen it. Do you know sad. what Meryl movie is my favourite? Yes. It's terrible. Well, it's not terrible, but it's not popular. Is It's complicated. <laughs> oh, is that the one with Alec Baldwin? Yes. Oh, I love Steve it. Steve Martin is oh, so I funny. I love it. <laughs> It is funny. She's so funny. She's good. <laughs> All right. Who else my, is funny? Okay, here's my Friday funny bugger top. Keep the keep the Meryl suggestions coming in. All right. Yeah. They're, they're, right. And oh, we'll they're go friggin' flooding in. Yeah. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'll, I'll say my topic, though, because it's a pretty good one, right? Okay. Because yes. seeing as I'm sitting in Jeff's chair, I thought I would talk about, and it, I just happened to find an article on Forbes.com, yes. right, about stealing someone's job and how to steal someone's job. Uh-oh. Right? Oh. And I thought, you know, Jeff's oh, I hope out Jeff of is town. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's out of town, you know, he's left the nest, he's left you guys, and I thought, you know, I, I, I'm happy with my job. I, I, th- I also should say for the record that I think that Jeff does a fantastic job here as well. Mm-hmm. But I did read an article about stealing, how to steal someone's job yeah. on Forbes.com, which I think Forbes is like a pretty, like like that's pretty, like they do that Forbes. It's about money and stuff. So yeah. it's for rich people. Yeah. Anyway, which I am not it's one for rich people. <laughs> Why are we even on Forbes.com? Okay, so here's, here are some quotes straight out of the article, right? And I'm going to relate them back to this situation that's going on here. Okay. At Triple R. Okay. Me stealing Jeff's job for the day. <laughs> so the 
the title of the article was How to Steal Someone Else's Job. Mm -hmm. And it started off by saying a few devious tricks can help steal your uh, co-worker's job, particularly if you're willing to engage in cutthroat behaviour, which I am. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Scheming and plotting, which personally I'm good at, may not be the nicest way to get the job, but it can be very effective, right? So the first tip that they had is charm them. You've got to charm them. Oh, and I, you're charming. Particularly to Jeff. Mm, have you, you noticed? Yes. yes. I try and hug him. <laughs> he doesn't hug me back. <laughs> I often will, like, compliment him on a shirt yes. that oh. he's wearing as well. So you've got to, you've got to ring them in. Yeah. yeah. Then it says mirror the co-worker's interests outside of work too. Always be the perfect courtier. So I've started wearing loud, like, floral shirts, <laughs> drinking gin, not giving people hugs and being on Twitter. That's Jeff, yeah? That is literally Jeff's home. That's Jeff. That is Jeff. Yeah. Was, yeah, so I'm, mirror, I'm mirroring Jeff. Oh, my God, I really wish he was listening. <laughs> he will. He will once he's lost his job and he's wondering why. <laughs> What happened while I was away in Sydney? Yeah, sleep in, Jeff. <laughs> Keep sleeping, sleeping forever. <laughs> Look at that bridge. <laughs> You'll be looking at it for a while. There's a new girl in town. <laughs> She's drinking your gin. <laughs> She's wearing your shirts. Anyway, I'll, I'll go through these quickly because we've got to do the news soon. Okay. But, uh, meanwhile, form a coalition. This is ah, where you guys come in. Okay. Um, with other people. Um, in, in the workplace and um, always have something to chat about with those people when you bump into them. So, Geraldine, how oh. are your dogs going? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty good, thank you. They're thank- away at the moment but I miss them. But they're and good. Kath? Yeah, they're both all away, Great. all in Venus Bay. Oh, that's but good. back tonight, so that's good. Mm. Have you noticed I'm just like nodding my head? <laughs> Sarah, is your laptop better? Oh, thank you. Yes, it is. <laughs> Yeah, so do a bit of that. I love it. I love it. That's what you know about my life. <laughs> your, your laptop broke. Uh. Um, and lastly, set the trap. Oh. Right? This is what is happening today. Like a flat, like a There Venus. will come a time when your coworker is in the spotlight. Maybe needs to give a big presentation or a client to speak in front of the board of directors. So maybe in Sydney. For the Writers' Festival. Oh. Mm. Ah. This is when you strike. (laughs) (laughs) You might leave a key document or piece of information that makes it impossible for your co-worker to finish their presentation. I don't know how we do that. Maybe we could, like, ring the hotel that he's staying at and, like, his alarm, get that, turn that off so he sleeps in. I don't know. We could sabotage somehow. (laughs) Or encourage him to take... The work in a direction you know higher-ups will hate. So I've told um, Jeff that Triple R listeners want him to sing more. <laughs> <laughs> just sent, I just sent him a tweet. I'm just putting it out there. I think that they probably do, but Either, anyway. Yeah, that's mm. – okay, maybe that's a mistake on my part. Either way, you come in and save the day with exactly what's needed, i.e. fresh, witty, non-singing. And here I am, and I'll be here for the rest of the day. Oh, Laura Dunneman, you are evil. Yeah, but but friendly and nice and pretty as well. And charming. (laughs) (laughs) And all of those things. 
You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.